Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. We're looking at prayer, the topic of prayer, but in a different way, not just uh, how you go about praying, but we're looking at how people prayed, how specific characters prayed in the Bible. And so we, we've looked at uh, David's prayer for guidance last week. Emily took us so wonderfully through Paul's prayer for an experience of God and that hunger for God. And this morning we, we look at a fascinating prayer. What sort of prayer ends with darkness is my closest friend? This morning we look at Heman's prayer from pain, what it means to cry from the depths of the soul and how do you get to a place like that? That's what we're going to explore. The dynamic is a little bit like this. Take a look at this picture. Now, forgive the resolution in all of that, but here's a question for you this morning. Uh, Which is the bigger monster? Put your head up if you think it's the one on the bottom. Put your hand up if you think it's the one on the top. Some people just don't want to participate. It's too early in this morning. (laughs) Hey, would it surprise you if I said they're both exactly the same size? Some people are already putting their thumbs up to the screen saying, you sure, you sure, trust me, I've already done it. I double-checked with a ruler on my computer screen this morning before we did it. Here's the point. Sometimes things aren't always as they appear. And I want to talk to you this morning about what happens with a relationship where things aren't always as they appear. And that is the relationship between life and God. Because like that picture, some of you know full well that if life gets skewed and life gets warped and life gets on top of you, then life becomes so big that God becomes small. That you think life is bigger and that God is smaller. And so for many of us, that relationship gets confused so that when life gets bad, God gets bad. And when life is good, God is good. And we inextricably confuse the two and tie the two together. And so it becomes very easy for this to happen, that disappointment in life becomes disappointment in God. And particularly if you're like me and like many of us here that we believe in a, a God who is real and is personal and with us, it, when you understand that and believe that, it almost virtually becomes impossible to extract God from life. But what I have to say this morning, that life is not God. And after a while, I I can understand this with this disappointment. I can understand that after a while that if dreams don't come true or if you can't catch a break or if you're watching everyone else around you seeming to get ahead of you or it's the third or the fourth or the fifth person that's now announced that they're engaged to be married and you're still single. If it's that the brother and sister-in-law are moving on up and moving on out and you can't seem to even catch a break when nothing seems to be working out for you, you feel this disappointment. And what do people say to you? Oh, well, just pray. <laughs> oh, it's wonderfully helpful, isn't it? People say that to you in those moments. Just pray. Just trust God. <laughs> but after a while, if you link the two together... Suddenly you get to a point where you say, either, at best, God can't be good, 
And at worst, there is no God at all. And that's exactly what we see with this character, Heman, in Psalm 88. I, I, I originally thought it was like my favourite character, cartoon character from the 80s. A psalm about He-Man and Shira. It's not, it's He-Man. <laughs> Verse 18, darkness is my closest friend. So we see here, first we'll look at the condition and then we'll look at how he prays in the midst of that condition, particularly if you feel that you can relate to Heman this morning. Darkness is my closest friend. There's two types of darkness that we see from here first. First, there is the outer darkness. We don't know much about Heman. Uh, We don't know exactly what these huge problems in his life are. In fact, seldom do we know what these problems are in the Psalms, which actually can be a great thing because it means you can read this Psalm in your own life circumstance. The great principles that you can read into this. Some of you are saying, this is my psalm. This is how I feel this morning. And so there is an outer darkness. We don't know what it is, but it's the darkness of your circumstances. You felt that, right? You felt that, and that's just one of two darknesses that he's going through at the moment. And in fact, this outer darkness can be okay if you don't have this other darkness. This outer darkness, you can survive if you don't have this other darkness. But, but there is a real dangerous conjunction that happens if this outer darkness of your circumstances begins to push in on you so much that almost like via a, a spiritual osmosis, it leads to this other darkness, and that is an inner darkness. And at the inner darkness is this, it's in verse 1 and 2. Here's the inner darkness. Lord, you are the God who saves me day and night. I cry out to you, my prayer, may my prayer come before you. I turn to your ear, my cry. Verse 3, I'm overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. Here's what the inner darkness is. It's someone who on one hand is saying, Lord, I believe that you are good, that you are in control of my life, that you are the great God that saves me. But on the other hand, I feel like I'm dying here. Ever felt like that? The inner darkness is a person that believes that God is God, but... When they come to it, they feel that he's just not there. Why would someone say, Lord, you, you're, the, you're the great God, but you've deserted me, you've left me, you're the one that's crushing me. Why would a mature believer like that say that? And the answer is, because that's what it feels like. But he's fighting He's fighting, he's fighting, he's fighting. Verse 9, my eyes are dim with grief, but I call to you, Lord. Every day I spread out my hands to you. Verse 13, but I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning the prayer comes before you. He's got outer darkness, he's got inner darkness, and he's fighting, he's fighting hard with his prayer. And yet what happens? Verse 18, you've taken me, my friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. Bang, the prayer ends there. No answer. Hasn't shown up. Why in the world is a psalm like this doing the Bible? <laughs> All right, here, here it is. I want you to get this, if you can identify with this character this morning. 
that there are times that you can pray and pray and do all that you think you ought to do. There are times where you can pray and live rightly. There are times when you can be a great person of faith. You can be at times when you see yourself as a mature believer and yet you are still plunged into a state of deep spiritual and psychological depression. It's biblical. And so I want to, what I want to say to you this morning, listen in if that is you. If that is you this morning, it's okay. It's okay. If you can relate to Heman better than any other character in the Bible right now, then this is therefore then the question that you might be asking yourself. How do I pray when I don't even feel like praying to God? At all, because that's how he felt. And what a great biblical example to wrestle through the prayer from pain. You know, I was thinking this before we get into it. Look, if we live in the Psalms, if you live in these sorts of Psalms, you will absorb, you will absorb counterintuitive emotions. <laughs> they will be counterintuitive. They will not be like anyone else in the world. Because on one hand, as we've already heard, there is an incredible rawness to this guy's emotions in all of this. But on the other hand, at the same time, you'll see with the Psalms, is there's sort of people who's got incredible rawness about their pain, but then they're also crazily praising God at the same time. You ever notice that? That on one hand, they're in deep situations of hopelessness, but declaring hope, it's counterintuitive. The Psalms are a strange thing. But it's a strange thing when you live under the sovereign love of God. So we've seen his condition. He's in a deep place of spiritual and psychological depression it's as bad as he can get and now we look at how he prays and what i love about it it's going to inform you and i as to how we can pray if you ever get into this situation when you get into this situation if you are in this situation it can inform you as to how to pray your way through this from praying you ready for it Here's the first thing that we see him do. And I'm going to go through the order. I don't think it's necessarily in terms of the outline and the structure of the psalm. I actually think we're going to, he, I'm going to outline the way that I think we would pray in real life. So the first thing you do, if you're in a person this morning that's listening to this and you're thinking, how do I pray when I don't even want to pray at all? Here's what you do. You say what you mean and you mean what you pray. Say what you mean, mean what you pray. Verse 10 to 12. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared to the grave? Your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? What's he not doing in this psalm? Here's what he's not doing. He's not holding his tongue. <laughs> he's giving it to God, isn't he? He's just saying what he means and he means what he prays. Where are you? What are you doing in all of this? Why is this happening to me? Where are you, Lord? What's the deal with all of this? You know what he's doing? Daddy's a poo-poo. <laughs> Daddy's a poo-poo. <laughs> I used to love it. My little, my little bro- that was what my little brother always used to say. He's, every, he's angry. Alex, you know, go clean up your room. Daddy's a poo-poo. <laughs> We laugh at it. What I, what I love looking back on it now as a grown-up is, you know, the, the only place that you can say that 
and not get yourself smacked across the room or across the bar or fired from your job. The only place you can ever say that in the world is fair and square in the face of a loving father. So question class, where's, where's God's rebuttal in this psalm if you've got it in all of this? Isn't that the very thing that's making Heman so mad? There's no rebuttal. There's no rebuke in this. And what it shows us this morning, here's the point. He can take it. He can take it. If you're angry and frustrated with God, well, get angry and frustrated with God. If you think daddy's a poo-poo, well, tell God daddy's a poo-poo. Last time I checked, he's the God of the universe. And so I think he understands you from head to toe and he's hardly the one that's going to get offended by this. Because the only place that you can stand and say that and not get whacked from here to oblivion is in the face of a loving father. And he's a good God. And he's a loving father. So say what you mean and mean what you pray. If you don't want to pray, don't. Just talk to him and tell her how it is. You know, I think the problem is too often we treat God like our boss. You know how we, we come to him with the script. We think of all the things that we're going to say to him in the very clever couch language. That's why half of us don't pray to him. Because we just don't say what we mean. We do that. We say all sorts of different things to God. We falsely <laughs> and not wholeheartedly tell him what we really mean. We pray, oh, you're good, you're wonderful, God, you're great. No, no, we don't feel like that. We're angry and frustrated at you. Or we gracefully withdraw. <laughs> We're passive-aggressive with him. Say what you mean, mean what you pray. Derek Kidner said this, the very presence of these prayers in Scripture is a witness to God's understanding. He knows how people speak when they're desperate. The very presence of these prayers prayers in the Psalms, God didn't censor them. God didn't take them out. God didn't say, oh, I don't want these prayers in my Bible. I don't want to be identified with people who pray like that. By keeping those prayers in the Bible, he does, not, he does identify with them. He's saying, I am still the God of this man in spite of the way in which he talks. Say what you mean, mean what you pray. It's the second thing that he does is he proactively affirms that God is in control. He affirms that God is in control of his life. It's subtle, but if you pick up on it, you catch it here in verse 7. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all of your ways. Remember, it's very easy to confuse life with God. But at the same time, there is a deep mystery that we Christians have is that although God is not what is happening to us in life, God is sovereignly in control of life. We've talked about this before. The Bible says peace, surety, stability is a confidence that God is wisely in control of your life. That he says, Lord, he's, he gets this. He's holding on to this. He says, Lord, all of this is falling in on me. It's crashing over me. And yet I believe that you're in control. I believe that you've got me in this. Lord, whatever you are doing in here, I'm not asking for this. This is coming at the wrong time. It's the opposite of what I'm praying for. I'm not happy about it. I'm not joyful about it. But I know that you're God and I know you know what you're doing. It's like having a bit of, if the waves are crashing in, it's like having a bit of ballast in your ship. You know that principle? You know, there are a few sailors in here. 
if you've got to have you have ballast in your ship, if you're going into a big storm, if those waves are come crashing, if you don't have ballast, then boom, the ship goes all the way over. You capsize. At least if you've got ballast in your ship, then you'll get hit by the wave, but you're not going over. And I know so many of you in this place, it's what inspires me. It's what encourages me. It's what moves me forward in my, in my faith is I look out at people here, little ships that are heavily ballast. Little ships that have come to proactively affirm God's sovereign control of their life in the midst of the pain. That Lord, in the craziness of all of this, it could be possible that you were doing something in me in all of this, so I will just hold tight. I will hold firm and I'll not be blown over because you're with me. So he affirms God's control over his life. Here's, here's the last thing that we see from the Psalms. Now, <laughs> I wish it was in this one and I'm going to be a cheeky preacher now because I've had to go to another one. But if you read the two together, they're almost parallel Psalms. Uh, and so it's quite appropriate that we use the verse from this psalm. But I, I figured maybe just to get the three points. I don't know what it was. I had to find something else here. But I, I couldn't leave this piece out. I, I, think, I think this piece is critical. This is one of the most important lessons that you can do. Uh, look, look, at, look at here, Psalm 42 verse 5. Why are you downcast, my soul? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. It's one of the most important lessons. Here's what the psalmist does here. He preaches to himself. So not just say what you mean, mean what you say. Affirm God's sovereign control over your life. But then the last one is preach to yourself. He's talking to his soul. It's a crucial lesson to learn. And I read a paragraph from Martin Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the great preachers of yesteryear that wrote an incredible book on spiritual depression. He said this, Have you not realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? (laughs) Take those thoughts that come to you. The moment you wake up in the morning, you've not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody's talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this psalmist's treatment was this. Instead of allowing this self-talk to him, he started talking to himself. (laughs) I figured, I've got to do this. I'm going to wake up in the morning. I'm going to, soul, I would like to talk to you. (laughs) Do you ever do that? (laughs) I'd like to have a word with you, please. (laughs) But I don't know about you, but... I find, the, I, I find the way that I'm wired, at least, mo- most, of my, most of my self-talk is very defeatist. So I go and I, go, I, go to, I get up in the morning, I go to talk to myself, and say, hey, self, how you going? I've got bad news for you. And myself says, what are you doing with the... You're supposed to have the good news. I've got, I've got the bad news. You're supposed to have the good news. What, what's going on? And then me and my inner self, we team up on each other. It's going to be a bad day. <laughs> Ever done that? You and I have a resource that's very different from Heman. We live on this side of the cross. 
And so you know what you do? You know what you do in those moments? You preach to yourself. You get in there, you preach to yourself. You say, listen, Haddon, listen, self. If God is for you, then who can be against you, self? (laughs) He who did not spare his son for you, self, will he not give you all things, self? It's God who justifies self. You preach to yourself. You have a conversation. So you say what you mean, you mean what you say. You affirm he's in control and you talk yourself through it and out of it. Now the reality is for some of you this morning... You're going, look, but I'm, you don't, you don't get this scene. You don't get what I'm going through. I'm still so angry at God. I'm still so frustrated with what, what the heck is going on in all of this. You think three points in your message is going to do this? No. You might feel like Heman this morning, but we've got something more than he does this morning, as I said. I call to you, Lord, every day. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? That was his cry out to God. And yet we see in Jesus Christ that Haman's prayer was Jesus' prayer from the cross. I spread out my arms to you. I call to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave? Is your faithfulness in destruction? The reason Heman never got an answer then and there from God is because he would get one a couple of thousand years later. And that answer would be yes. Yes, that's where my love is found. It's found in the grave. It's found in the midst of destruction. It's found when you think that you can go no lower. Look, friend, I want you to get this this morning. If you are the sort of person that has been plunged into that darkness and you think that God doesn't get you or that God can't understand you, that when you look at Jesus Christ and you open up this book and you go through Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, you will see that Jesus Christ copped life in the face. And yet it was his, in spite of life, faith in God, he didn't confuse the two. But it helps us this morning because, look, you may be disappointed with life, but the deep promise is you don't have to be disappointed with God. If we look at Jesus' in spite of life, faith in his loving Father, his surrender to that, you will find that God, as much as it doesn't feel like it can be, Trusted. And here's the thing when you do what Jesus did from Gethsemane to the cross, when you move from clenching your fists in anger and anxiety and opening them to Him in surrender, you can be part of the life transforming love and grace of God. You open that up to Him. God can never give you what you are not willing to receive this morning. 
So the challenge for you and I, whether we're in this moment or not, is that when these dark moments hit, are we willing to simply open ourselves up to God in surrender? I want you to know today, if you're human, you'll get this, you've felt it, or you will feel this. And I want you to know today, if you are feeling this, that you, you are surrounded by a bunch of, in spite of life, faith in God people. It's what keeps me going in those moments where I wonder, Lord, what are you doing in the midst of it? But I have saints ahead of me and around me, beside me. It's why I love the church that have already been through this. And so the challenge is this, if you're in darkness, are you willing to surrender? We want to open up now for these final few minutes to let these truths and experiences fall on you. You know, this may not be for you now in these moments, but it might be for the person next to you. You don't know what they're going through. But I know that there would be people in this room who said, look, this is, this is what i got to hear. How do I know? Because I've spoken to people already who know what this message was going to be about and said, this is a message for me. And so we're going to ask God in this moment now to come in and to speak to us in this moment, particularly if it's a moment of darkness for you. We're going to allow God to come into a moment where either physically and practically through these moments of prayer, um, you can come and ask God to begin um, resurrecting you, (laughs) rebuilding you, pulling you out of this place because I can't do it. We can't do it. He can do it. But it's going to take that willingness and that openness. And particularly for some of you this morning that I know you are in a place of darkness and you go, Lord, this is killing my relationship with you. It's killing my relationship with members of the family, people that I love. It's tearing me up inside. It's tearing them up inside. Do something about this. This is the moment. There will be no better moment to connect with him than what we have right now in this space. I'm going to pray, we're going to sing, we're going to do ministry time together. And as we do, remember, this is the one place where it's okay not to be okay. But a couple of hundred people who are willing to just be open to how God can change us and transform us and to pull us out. Let's pray. Father, it's what I prayed, not by my smarts, but by your grace, Lord, that you would give us in this moment to not get confused with the way that life has hit us or is hitting us. That we would understand the difference between life and you and that through your Holy Spirit, you would give us clarity to understand the difference. Father, I'm praying for those right now who are in a place of darkness, that Lord, you would move into this moment that there would be everything done on their their side that they could do, but you would also meet them in this moment also. Father, prepare us too that sit next to people in that space, and it may not be us, but prepare us with humble hearts, hearts willing to love and support and to put the arm around the shoulder and to walk with those who are in this space. And so, Lord, we open this time to you that you might do this work. You might do something profound in this moment, supernatural that is beyond us. 
We open ourselves up to you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.